continuing our look this summer at the wisdom of God, that learning from God what to do, what not to do, what is right and what is wrong. And we've been looking at the wisdom books in the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And so for these three weeks here in August before our picnic, we've been looking at God's wisdom as it concerns the subject of sexual faithfulness. Not because it's super exciting to talk about this subject, but because it is an area of strong disagreement and contrast with the world. That what the Bible says seems to be very different from what we hear from the world. And so we're looking to see God's wisdom. What is right? What is wrong? What to do? What not to do? That we need the word of God to guide us, as we just sang, as a lamp unto our feet, to guide us on the path of what is right, that we desire to hear the wisdom of God. And so that includes the area of life about sexual faithfulness. And so we're looking again this morning in Proverbs chapters 5, 6, and 7, and today we're in Proverbs 6. So if you'd like to open your Bibles, Proverbs comes right after the Psalms, and we'll be in Proverbs 6. Now, the beginning of Proverbs 6 and verses 1 through 19, it's not really on this exact subject. It's got some other good passages like how we are to look at the ant to get our work ethic, that this tiny little creature is working hard. And we see many other things about how we are to live wisely according to God. But it's kind of a break from the subject matter we've been discussing. But it's picked up again in verse 20. So we're going to be looking at verses 20 through 35. Uh, For what we believe Solomon wrote, that's the understanding of Proverbs, that these are the Proverbs of Solomon. So hear the word of the Lord. We're in Proverbs 6, verses 20 through 35. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. Let us pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that it would be a bright light to shine for us the path that we are to live as your people. We pray that you would help us to see your word as good, to see your commands as good, and we ask today that you would help us to hear it. Use me in spite of my own weakness, my own propensity to sin, and Holy Spirit, bring forth your word in truth that we can hear it and hear what you would have to say to us today and that you would shape us and mold us so that we would live as you call us to live for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. So today we have a kind of a simple passage here in a way. In fact, the passage was almost so simple, it was hard to think of what to say in a sense, that the basic message here in this part of Proverbs 6 is breaking God's commandments is bad. Again, it seems real simple. Breaking God's commandments is bad, that disobeying God leads to consequences. And yet here there is much for us to learn about why that is so. And why it seems that even though we may know breaking his commands are bad, why we still end up doing it. Even though we know we shouldn't hit our brothers, why we still feel that urge to just punch them right in the mouth. Why is that? And so today I want us to look at this passage and be thinking about how God's commandments work and why they seem to kind of short circuit in our own hearts. So here we are, looking at the passage today. Our first four verses here, verses 20 through 23, deal with the commandments of God. And again, Solomon starts with both parental love and authority. He's saying, my son, listen to my wisdom. Hear the words of your mother. He wants us to heed the wisdom of God and obey God's commands. And the reason he needs to make this appeal is because our attitudes towards God's commands is mixed at best. You see, we like a lot of God's commands, I would think. The command, do not murder, sounds really great that we know people aren't going to be coming up to us and just trying to kill us. That sounds really good. Do not steal also sounds really good, that we don't want people stealing our stuff. And I can understand that. I shouldn't steal other people. We like those commands. And yet other commands do not covet. Oh, I do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that means a lot of stuff. And we start to not like those commands and not want to obey those commands. But why? Why don't we see those and hear them as good and say, yes, let me go do them? Well, perhaps the biggest reason is that in our modern culture, we don't like God's commands because it goes against our core motto, our cultural creed, and that's essentially that we Americans don't like to be told what to do. We like freedom. Freedom is a big thing. It is a good thing. We love freedom. But our freedom has come to mean that we should be free to decide what is right and wrong. That there is no real right and wrong. We have the freedom to decide what is right and wrong for ourselves. In other words, our cultural creed is no one can tell me what I can or cannot do. That is the air we breathe in our modern culture today. And so it makes sense that there is a resistance to God's commands because God is literally telling us what we can and cannot do. 
And we don't like that. That's not how we want to live. So we find his commandments restricting. We see that he forbids these things. He prohibits those things. And all we hear is that we are getting bound. We are binded to certain things. In fact, that's what verse 21 says. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. To our modern culture, that is terrible. That God's commands sound like the shackles of slavery. That they are chains that we have to wear, that we hate. And yet, this is a wrong understanding of God's commandments. He doesn't give us commands to shackle us as slaves. Rather, he gives us commands to protect us from punishment, to guide us in the way that is best for us. See, oftentimes our culture sees God's commands like this, that we're sitting at this gourmet feast with just platters of delicious food, whatever it is. For you, know, for you guys, it might be different. For me, it's bacon and donuts, just plates of bacon and donuts, and donuts with bacon on top, even better. They're just sitting out there. And we are told, those aren't for you. And in gets brought this tray of lima beans. And the lima beans fall on our plate. Maybe it's for you, it's Brussels sprouts or broccoli. Maybe you like lima beans. They, I can't say one's touched my mouth in 12 years. But there, in some way, we feel that God's commands are keeping the best and most desirable stuff away from us, and we are being forced to have what is bland and blech, and we know it's healthy, but it's not worth the healthiness. It really isn't. We assume that God is withholding from us the very best, and we distrust him. That's how our culture tends to think of God's commandments, but that's not how they work. Rather, God's commands are more like traffic signs. That traffic signs ensure the safety of all people on the road. And not following the traffic signs leads you to endanger yourself and others. See, this is what we read in verses 23 through 24. Here's what the Bible says. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman. Now, last week we talked about this evil woman. There is not like an actual evil woman out there who's attacking us. And it could be evil man for the women as well that the temptation he's speaking to here is to a young man. But we need to interpret that for each of us, men, women, young, old, single, married. But the key word in there is to preserve you. You could also translate it to keep you, to protect you, to guard you. That is the design of God's commandments that they are protecting us from danger. And as useful as the traffic analogy is, I prefer another one. I prefer fish. See, humans should live according to God's laws as fish live in the water. That fish were created to exist in the water. It's how they are supposed to live. Now, sure, a fish that is entirely independent and wearing an American flag t-shirt may say, this water is restricting and I want the freedom of living on land, the land of the free and the home of the brave and free me from the shackles of this water. I must go to the land. And yeah, I guess that's kind of freedom, but it's death. It's destructive. It's catastrophic. 
that even if that fish wants to evolve to live on dry land, that fish was designed to live in the water. See, the water does not restrict the fish's freedom. The water defines the fish's freedom. It says, here is the bounteous place where you can live. Here is what is your life. And this water protects you from the danger of being out of the water. So the problem is that we don't see God's commandments that way. And if we do, we feel like the betta fish in the tiny little bowl that can hardly hold eight ounces. We feel that we are being kept from something that is good instead of kept from something that is bad. But God's commandments preserve or protect us from danger. They are the good, wise ways that he wants us to live because he made us and he knows how we should live. And this is true when it comes to sexuality. That Solomon needs to remind us that all areas of life, even the most private and intimate, are under God's jurisdiction. And so in the rest of the chapter, he has to remind us of the danger of breaking God's commandments when it comes to sexual faithfulness. And so that's what we see in verses 25 through 35, where again, the message is so simple and repetitive that you almost miss it. But again and again and again, he gives examples of if you do this, bad stuff happens. If you do this, bad stuff is going to happen. We see it here again and again. Holding fire up against your chest, it's going to burn you. Walking on hot coals, it's going to burn you. Touching your neighbor's wife will lead to punishment. Even a hungry thief will get punished if he steals food. An adulterer will bring punishment upon himself. There's nothing that will stop a jealous spouse from seeking vengeance. That verse after verse after verse in this chapter, we see the reality that punishment will follow sin. And we need that wake-up call. And the primary reason we need that wake-up call is that we don't think sin is that big of a deal. We don't think disobedience will really cost us. We misjudge the consequences of sin. And he points out this error in verses 25 through 26. Here's what he writes. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Now, you could easily take that a married woman hunts down a precious life out of context, but we're not going to go there today. But it is a confusing verse. But at the heart of it, we see that we can be tempted into sin, and when we're tempted into sin, we misjudge the costs. A comparison is made between a prostitute and a loaf of bread that really the cost of hiring that person is cheap. There's not much cost to it. It costs cheaper than a whole bunch of stuff you can buy at Walmart. And yet, he turns that around and says that the married woman, this other woman, this truth here will hunt down your life. Solomon is saying that we can think the cost of sin is so minor. But in reality, sin goes after our very lives. See, we may want there to be no punishment for sin. We may want to downplay the consequences of sin or ignore the cost or rationalize the behavior, essentially saying boys will be boys, college kids will be college kids. I was like that when I was younger, and I turned out fine, which is sometimes correct. But we start rationalizing it and saying, those kids and their hormones, 
can we expect anything more from them? And we start to think that the cost of sin is not that bad. Solomon recognizes this. In verses 30 through 31, he wants to show us how faulty that thinking is. He talks about how a thief who steals when he is hungry, a starving man who has to steal to feed his belly, will still be punished. See, we can empathize with that starving man. In fact, it's one of those ethical questions that gets asked in every ethics class. Is it ethical for a man to steal food in order to feed his starving family? And usually there's like thousands of qualifications we have to throw on that, but it's it's a good thought exercise. But what he's saying is as much as you empathize with that guy who is just burning with hunger pains and can't find any other way, he still gets punished sevenfold. How much more will someone committing adultery or some other sexual unfaithfulness also be punished for their sins? See, we may empathize with someone who is struggling with desire. We may empathize with the young people who are not yet married. We may empathize with many people struggling with various desires and temptations. But empathy does not absolve us from consequences. God is saying that punishment is sure to follow. There's a cost to disobedience. See, going back to the traffic signs, you may get away with driving recklessly fast for a while, but eventually your behavior will catch up to you in the form of a police officer or a traffic accident. Similarly, your poor performance at work may go unnoticed by your boss for weeks or months, maybe even years, but eventually... It will be revealed. Eventually, you'll be held accountable for your actions, that there will be consequences. That's what Solomon is saying here, that there will be consequences for disobedience because these are God's commands. But what's happened is we have heard an alternate take, that these aren't God's commands. They're simply social conventions about sexuality, that We're just trying to overthrow social conventions in the same way that years ago, women would have only worn dresses to church and men would have only worn coat and ties. And, well, failure, you know. That even before that, men would have only worn powdered wigs in some places. Praise the Lord, there's no powdered wigs. But we've broken these social conventions. And they're saying, why are our thoughts about sexuality not just a social convention? You see, if you had broken social convention back then and been the first guy to throw off the powdered wig, scandal would have happened. (gasps) Oh, he does not have his powdered wig. Or, she's not wearing a dress. And people would have rightly been upset. But today, the social convention has been broken. People don't see that as weird anymore. The consequences were merely social. And the argument is that, is the same not true of sexuality? Don't we just need to all agree that all of this is okay and then there's no more consequences? What we see here in our passage is the consequences are not only natural, they're eternal. That what Scripture teaches about sexuality is not a social convention from the first century A.D. It is the truth of God. 
And yes, it may be interpreted differently. I'm sure what people wore back in the first century AD is different from us, that their dating or courtship practices is different from what we did, but some of the principles behind it are the same because they are founded upon the Word of God. And God tells us that there are consequences to disobeying His Word. Our New Testament reading from 1 Thessalonians showed us this. It said that God is an avenger against those who break His commandments, not a superhero but an avenger. And see, even though natural consequences may come to us for breaking his laws, the ultimate expression of judgment is God's judgment. See, we may fear the shame that sins of our past may bring to us. We may worry about the spouse that has been cheated and their anger against us. But what we should truly fear is the wrath of a jealous and holy God. And God is saying that his commandments are designed to protect us, to keep us from these consequences and punishment. But what we need to know is that commandments themselves cannot do it. We need more than just the commandments. We need obedience to the commandments. That commandments only work when they're obeyed. It reminds me of the dog Abby and I used to have named Rooney. He was 40 pounds. He was about knee height. And um, we rescued him, you know, from one of the rescue shelters. We adopted him. He was a year old. We never saw him as a puppy. I'm sure he was cute. And the shelter didn't have a lot of information on him at all. They had his birthday, and like, you know, so we knew he was a year old. But there was one thing in his file, only one thing, in big capital letters, jumps fences. And we saw that, and we didn't have a fence at our house at the time, and we're like, He's 40 pounds. He's not even taller than my knee. Like, what's the big deal? And so we lived in Chicago for two years and thought nothing of it. We walked him on a leash and had a great time. And then we moved to Pennsylvania. And we bought a house that had a fence in the backyard, a four-foot fence. We're like, this will be a wonderful place for Rooney to run and play in the safety of our backyard. The fence will keep him in. It kept the previous owner's dog inside the fence. It did not keep Rooney inside the fence because Rooney jumps fences. See, once a week he would jump over the fence and express his freedom, his independence, to go and roam the land wherever he pleased. And he wanted to do this. And he he did. But in doing so, he endangered himself because we lived on a busy road. Not Park Avenue busy, but busier than a neighborhood street. And there were multiple times we found him in the road, near cars, thankfully not hit. But that was always our constant concern. We are a lot like Rooney. God's commandments were designed to keep us safe, like fences for dogs who live near busy roads, but written on the files of our hearts in big capital letters is Rake's Commandments. That's what's on our files. See, we have all inherited the nature of Adam and Eve, the sinful nature. And so we are all sinners who naturally desire sin. We doubt God's intentions. We disobey his commands. And so we hope that commandments will protect us. In fact, many in churches try and figure out how do we make the commandments tougher, more protective, In a lot of ways, a lot like the Pharisees or a lot like us and Rooney, that we knew the fence wouldn't work, so we did the invisible electric fence wire around the fence and put the shot collar on him. 
Yeah, like that would work. Jump, shock, land. He was fine. Didn't matter. Well, in the same way, we try to install these better fences for our lives, these better commandments to help God make his commandments stronger to save us. We install filtering systems on our computers or phones. We avoid watching certain TV shows or movies. We may avoid certain situations where we are alone with other adults of the opposite sex. We may refrain from dating until a certain age or refrain from certain physical contact when dating. And these practices can be helpful and wise. I am not diminishing them in that way. But they don't change hearts. They don't change breaks commandments. They may keep us from the natural consequences of sin in different ways, but they do nothing to protect us from the eternal consequences of sin. They cannot save us from the wrath of God. In the New Testament, in James chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. That means that one jump over the fence, one sin means that we're a lawbreaker that deserves the wrath of God and we deserve the rightful punishment for sin, which is death. That no matter what fences we set up, we cannot perfectly keep the law to avoid the punishment of sin because written on our hearts is lawbreaker. That the fences cannot be built inside our hearts. Because it's not outside the fence that's the greatest danger. It's inside our hearts that's the greatest danger. That we need a better obedience because ours is flawed. And so a better obedience is offered to us in the gospel. That out of his amazing grace, the Father sent his Son, Jesus, to perfectly obey the law for us. That it was bound to his heart and his neck, speaking to him morning, noon, and night. That he never disobeyed, always obeying God's good commandments. And yet, instead of being protected through that obedience, he suffered the consequences that we deserved for our sins. He died in our place as punishment for our sins so that we could be accepted in his place through his perfect obedience. And so as Christians, we do not trust our ability to stay inside the fence, that that is not what saves us. We trust in Jesus' perfect obedience, that he has taken the punishment from us, that he has been condemned so we will not be condemned. And as that starts to shape our hearts, as we start to marvel in the salvation we are offered, we see the law in a new light. Not these commandments that continually tell us, you can't keep them. But we start to see the commands as we were supposed to, as the wise advice of a heavenly Father who wants what is best for us. See, the Holy Spirit breathes new life into our hearts so that we learn to love God's word. So even though it may still say breaks commandments on our hearts, it also is starting to say loves the law as we love the God who has saved us. And so we need God's wisdom in every area of our lives, including in sexual faithfulness. See, as Christians, we can rejoice that no matter the sins we have in the past, no matter the times we've jumped the fence in the past, our eternal punishment has been taken away. Our sins can be forgiven in Jesus. 
And now we seek to live according to God's commands for our good, knowing that they protect us from earthly consequences. It doesn't mean life will be easy. In fact, there may be consequences. Jesus obeyed perfectly, and he was punished. And so we may obey God's commandments. We may strive to live a godly life, and we may be called odd, unusual, or worse by the culture. We're going to stand out. We're going to seem different, living according to God's word. And yet the Holy Spirit helps us to see the wisdom of God in his commandments. He helps us to trust the Father to lead us in the light of truth of his word because he created us, he saved us, and he knows us. And so like children who may still be tempted to punch their brother, we may still be tempted to look and see what's on the other side of the fence. We may still feel that desire in us to jump the fence, but we can pray for the grace of God and the strength of of the Holy Spirit, to look around us and see the beautiful freedom that we have been given within God's commands and the wonderful godly intention that we have been shown that he wants us to live according to his word as his children, as his children whom he loves and wants what's best for. So thanks be to God for giving us his word that he wants to protect us, he wants to love us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a great God, a great God who has given us your word. And though your word does point out our sins in so many ways, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we can find the hope to avoid condemnation, that we can trust in him. And I pray that we would all put our trust in Jesus Christ and know that it is not our goodness that saves us but his. And I pray that you would help us all to love your law to love your commandments, to delight in them, to seek to keep our ways pure, not out of our own pride, but out of a desire to love you and live according to your word. So Lord, bless us with your spirit. Change our hearts to obey your word. In Jesus' name, amen.